51. Then we'll go to Romans chapter 8. We want to be in prayer for the people of Nepal as they're continuing to search for survivors from the massive earthquake. We want to be reminded to pray for the people of my hometown, Baltimore, Maryland, as there is another social uprising going on. People are questioning, once again, whether justice or injustice occurred. So a lot going on in the nation, a lot going on in the world. So let me pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to serve your people. Thank you for the calling that you placed on my life to lead your people by serving them. To serve as an under shepherd of you, the great shepherd. And to feed your people. To encourage them in the gospel. To encourage them in the grace of God. So today, Lord, would you continue in this marvelous worship experience where your presence has truly been manifest and your joy is giving us strength. We thank you now that you desire to speak a clear, good word to your people that will produce fruit, some 30, some 60, and 100 fold. So as you do every week, or whenever I open my mouth, would you work with me? Would you work through me? Thank you, Lord, that you take delight in using broken instruments and making them sound gracious and glorious. Do it this morning. I promise to praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here with us visiting, we are studying the book of Titus, asking God to give this church a word through that three-chapter epistle. And we've been taking our time going through it because I find that when we try to Uh, get into the Bible to understand the Bible, there is observation, interpretation, and application. Observation is just asking, what does the Bible say? Interpretation asks, what does it mean? Application, of course, how do I apply this? And when you look at the disciplines of what those three steps would be called in terms of hermeneutics, The most important aspect is observation, and that's just reading the text, absorbing the text, text, meditating on the scriptures, and allowing the Lord to speak, so that once he speaks, we can then do. Be hearers of this word, and then doers as well. And the way the book is broken down, it talks about how God was able to turn bad people into good people. On the island of Crete, as we've said, it was full of pirates and mercenaries and people who were partaking in all sorts of debauchery. But it was in the midst of that darkness that a great light began to shine, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The love of God visited the island, and men and women were transformed. Paul was there, and he was there with one of his great lieutenants, Titus, a Greek man who had come to faith in Jesus, and they began to develop and disciple people on that island. Then Paul left Titus there, according to chapter 1, verse 5, to appoint elders in all of the cities, because it was important for that organism called the local church to begin to take on organization. And so Titus's first responsibility was to raise up leaders good leaders in all of the various cities where the church met. That was his assignment because you cannot have a good church without good leaders. You cannot have a healthy church without healthy leaders. And so the Bible doesn't tell us how he went about appointing these leaders in the various cities who oversaw the churches and served the people. But nevertheless, we are told that that was a command that was given to him by Paul. And when I think about this church, this church is only as good as the leadership. This church won't go as far as the leaders are able to go. 
and I'm thankful that I serve with a great group of leaders in our elder team. I have a great group of people, men and women on our staff, and we have so many leaders who lead in the church at various places, and we can always improve. There are always things to set in order, as Paul told Titus to do, set some things in order. We always have things to refine and to get better, but I'm thankful for this house, this church called Strong Tower Bible Church, and as we said last week, we're all leaders in some form or fashion, because we have influence. Leaders are people who have influence. And so we have influence. And the question is, will we use it for the Lord or will we use it for ourselves or for the world's sake? And so I'm thankful, again, to be the first among equals on the elder team, to be a leader of leaders here in the church and people who not only lead in here, but go out there into the world to lead by serving the world for Jesus' sake. Next week, I asked one of my men that I have had the honor of spending some time with over the past 12 weeks for our men's class. Our men's class is called Straight Street, and the brothers have just gotten together week after week to look at the dynamic relationship between Paul and Ananias. And week by week, we've been asking the Lord to, as we observe the text in chapter 9, as we begin to interpret it, And God gives us grace to apply it. This morning, brothers got up and talked about their calling because in that house on Straight Street, um, there was a calling on the life of the Apostle Paul to go out and to be an instrument for the Lord Jesus, to go before kings and to go before Jews and Gentiles. But in the midst of his calling to proclaim the gospel, his calling also involved massive suffering. Jesus says, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my sake. And, you know, Paul sat in blindness for those three days in that house after he had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus. But there was another man who was integral in the calling of Paul, and that was a man that many of us may not know a lot about. The Bible didn't say a lot about. His name is Ananias, and Ananias came in. He was a faithful disciple, and the Lord gave him an assignment. Your calling is to go in and lay hands on this man, Paul. And there was some concern because Paul had terrorized Christians, terrorized the church. Uh, But Ananias went past his fears and concerns and obeyed the Lord. And he went in and said, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road to Damascus has sent me that you may receive your sight and receive the Holy Spirit. And he laid hands on him. And at that moment, scales fell from his eyes. And then the Bible says that Paul went out immediately preaching the gospel that he tried to tear down so vigorously. And so two men had a calling. And so this morning we talked about what is your calling? No one has a bigger calling or a lesser calling than someone else. We all have a calling. We all have a piece to play. We're all a part of the kingdom puzzle that God is putting together in these last days. And it was so wonderful hearing the men come up and say what they're called to do in this season of life and for us to bear witness and to speak into one another's lives that I said to Eric Merriweather next week I want you because we co-led that class together you stand up here and you teach and you preach for a good 10-15 minutes and then you bring some men up on this stage and let them share with their body with their family what God is calling them to do And to hear what God is doing in men, it just really invigorates you. It gets you excited about what God is doing in the church because, again, God won't take the church further than how he's taking the leaders. And when we look at men who must lead by serving, oh, my, when when men catch on fire, when men get a hold of what God has, we can turn the world upside down. But then following the men next week, we'll have the ladies on Mother's Day because we got some powerful sisters in this house uh, who are leading and who are serving and who are doing diligence for the kingdom of God. And my wife is going to minister and uh, interview women on Mother's Day. And we're going to hear what God is doing in women who are leaders because you can't have a good church without good leaders. That's men and that's women. Got to have them. So Josh Mullen, man, you blessed me this morning with your word, and I want other folk in this body to hear it. Brother Robinson, you blessed me this morning with your word, and I want other people to hear it. Brother Bernard, you blessed us this morning with your calling, and I want other people to hear it. And so we are a family, 
because it takes all of us to be the church. So I'm excited about what he's doing. And Darina, I know you've got some ladies who are going to come and testify. It's going to be wonderful. Good leaders create or they participate in good churches. Chapter one, Titus focuses on good leadership. Now, the greatest leader of all is Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? The greatest leader, one who was transformational, that is, he was able to touch people where they were, whether they were a prostitute or whether they were a tax collector, a fisherman, or even a Pharisee. Jesus could minister to people and call them up and call them out. He could reach them where they were. He was a transformational leader. People bought into him and the words that he spoke to the degree where they were willing to lay down their lives for him. And they did. He was a transformational leader, but he was also a servant leader as well. He served the apostles and it went so much beyond washing their feet, but he served them in so many ways, even as they tried their best to serve him. And ultimately, he served us all by giving his life as a ransom on the cross. He laid down his life as a lamb for us. So Jesus is the greatest leader who ever led, who ever lived. And when we talk about leading, we have to look at God. And when you look look at Jesus, you're looking at God with skin on. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at God with clothes on. When you look at Jesus, you are seeing what God is calling us to be about to look like, to sound like. And I'm so glad we have the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, there's no way we could even be like Jesus Christ, talk like Jesus, serve like Jesus, lead like Jesus. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he not only teaches us how to lead, he teaches us how to follow. And a lot of times, followership gets overlooked when we talk about leadership. But when you think about followership, there are more followers in various institutions, including the church, than there are leaders who make decisions. I'm talking about the key leaders. We're all leaders, but at the same time, we're all followers as as well. Because the, the key to your ability to lead shows up in your ability to follow first. And when Jesus came to the earth, yes, to be our leader, to lead us in love, to lead us back to God and everything else, he followed what his father said. He said, I am here not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He followed his father all the way to Calvary. And so to be a great leader, you have to first be a follower. And so when we look at Jesus, we see the epitome of what it means to be a leader, what it means to be a leader. As a matter of fact, if you were to break it down into three categories, because when Christ came, he came to fulfill the law. So when you look back at the Old Testament law, when you look back at the leaders in the Old Testament, there were prophets, there were priests, and there were kings. Great prophets like Elijah and Jeremiah and Habakkuk, great priests like Aaron and so many others uh, in the scriptures, Joshua, the high priest in the book of Zechariah. And then there were uh, not only prophets and priests, but there were kings And of course, we know the great King David uh, and his throne and his leadership. But in Jesus, you have the fulfillment, the ultimate, ultimate fulfillment of prophet, priest and king, because he is the prophet Deuteronomy chapter 18 that Moses spoke about. He is the mouthpiece of God. But then he is also the king of all kings. The scepter will not depart from out of the tribe of Judah, the book of Genesis says. And and he is the rightful heir to David's throne. The one who David said, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. And so David called his descendant Lord because Jesus in the natural was a descendant of David. But in the eternal, he's Lord over David. And so he is the king, he is the prophet, and we know he is the high priest, even after the order of Melchizedek. And he's the one who ministers by giving his body and by giving his blood before the Lord as our great mediator to bring us back to God. He's the priest, the one who stands between God and man. And in his case, rather than slaying a lamb for the sins of the people, he became the slain lamb for the sins of the people. He's the epitome. He is everything we need. He is prophet, priest, and king. And as we are growing in what it means to be Christ-like, to be followers of Jesus, disciples of the master teacher, the Lord is making us like Jesus, which means he's making us 
to be prophets, priests, and kings. Uh, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, go to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're talking about leadership right now. You'll hear about leadership the next couple of Sundays. But Romans chapter 8, verse 29. The Bible says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God is conforming us to the image of his son. How's he doing that? He's doing doing that through the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ. And we all know it's a process. We won't arrive until we arrive in glory, but still we press on. We know that when we get to heaven, we'll receive bodies like Christ. We'll be perfect as Christ is, but until then we are growing. The Holy Spirit is conforming us into the image of Jesus people who will love like Christ and talk like Christ and serve like Christ and lead like Christ. We've got kings in this room. If you're a lady, you're a queen. The point is there's royalty in you. And when we talk about kingship, we're talking about people who have a natural inclination to lead. These are people who understand governance. They have administration gifts. They lead whether it's at the school, at the bank, in government, in the church, there's something kingly about you. You know how to lead people. You, know, you understand systems and, again, governance. And you know how to delegate and put people in place. There's something about you that's kingly. Where does that come from? It comes from God working in you. It didn't originate with you. It came from God. And that may be your foremost giftedness in terms of what it means to be like Christ, that there's this thing in you. You you, you just can lead well. And you can see and you understand how things ought to flow in a kingdom, whether that's a classroom, a boardroom, or whatever. But then there are those of us who are priests. Priests are people who minister on behalf of people. You just love people. You minister to people. You serve people. You touch people. You lead people. You encourage them. You give of yourself. You, you love mercy ministry. You just love being around people to encourage them, to minister to, to them. That's what the priests did. They were go-betweens between God and the people. And so you serve people. You love going to the hospital. Whereas for other people, oh, I don't really like going to the hospital. You love being by someone who has just lost a loved one and they're putting them in the grave. You know how to encourage. You know how to bring gifts and goods to people's homes and uplift them when you're around people get encouraged because you're a priest and when you think about the kingdom that's how you lead you lead as a priest the king thing may not be your strong suit but man serving folks being a mediator touching helping behind the scenes but then there are prophets prophets these are people with vision these are people who communicate they have a way of talking or writing or blogging they 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 know how to get a message out they're charismatic people follow them people buy into what they do Um, they have a clear word many times in an unclear moment or generation they're prophets they have a voice they have a vision and wow i'm here to let you know that as the Lord is growing me in those three areas, my foremost gifting is prophecy. Being a prophet. Being someone that will say things that other people want to say. Some people cringe when it's said. That's what I do. And when I started Strong Tower Bible Church almost 20 years ago this September, I did not get into the ministry because I was a priest. I did not get into the ministry because I was a king. I got into the ministry because God had given me something to say. And I had to say it. And I knew I had to say it through the local church. So I didn't jump in like a lot of my friends. They are shepherds. They are pastors. I mean, they just love walking with people. Now, I'll walk with you. But it started off as, man, I've got something to say. And over time, God began to develop these other aspects 
of what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ, of what it means to be a king or an administrative leader, what it means to be a priest, a shepherd who serves folks. And I have other friends who they enter into the ministry, man, they are shepherds, but God has to work on that voice thing, that speaking thing, that declaring thing, that confrontation thing. Or you got some pastors who get in, they know how to organize mega churches because they're kings and they can lead kingdoms and denominations. And that's how they got into the ministry. And so as I'm looking at what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ, I'm going to share something with you today, whether you're in the ministry and we're all in the ministry. It just may be some of us are in kingdom ministry in the church or kingdom ministry in the world. There's no such thing as dividing sacred and secular because as Christians, everything is sacred for us. No matter where we are, it's sacred territory. What I do is no more sacred than what you do if you pump. Well, people don't pump gas no more. You pump your own gas. I showed you my age by going back with that illustration. But there was a time you pull up and somebody would pump your gas. Some of you young folk don't know anything about what I just said. I think Dr. King said if you are someone that sweeps streets or you're someone that leads great movements, the greatness in a person is determined by how they serve how they serve the king. But here's the thing, Strong Tower. In order for God to conform us to the image of Jesus, he's going to have to stretch us. He's also going to have to crush us. And then he's going to raise us. I want to jump to the raising part. But the Lord wants to take me and is taking me and is taking us. You keep on living. God's going to take you through a time of stretching. He's going to take you through a time of crushing. Oh, and then he's going to take you to a season of great resurrection. But what happens is, though, as we'll see today, there's a temptation to quit in the midst of the stretching and the crushing. But that's why Paul said in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him. Yes, in the power of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of his sufferings. Because to be like Christ, the one who suffered for us, there is going to be suffering on our part. But don't get discouraged. Don't get down. Because weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. It's coming resurrection is coming and as the spirit was ministering today during the worship and as pastor daryl got up and his sister ebony began to declare and as pastor john was ministering we understand as jesus said in this life there will be tribulation we come to church sometimes we prance in these doors and 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 man we're coming in rejoicing other times we are limping and crawling into the house of the lord long as we get here whether we're dancing or crawling we're getting here in the body there are those who are rejoicing and those who are suffering we get here in the presence of god and in the presence of one another we've got we cannot forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but we've got to get together as we see the day approaching As we come in this place, there is a word today because he is conforming us to the image of Jesus. And to do it, he'll stretch you, he'll crush you. Oh, yes, and he'll raise you. Number one, when you think about stretching, let's look at Jesus. In his godness, he is perfect. He is God. It is a mystery as far as the hypostatic union, how Jesus could be 100% God and 100% man. And so it's a mystery. It doesn't always fit into a nice little systematic box, but the Bible says Jesus wept and Jesus would get hungry and Jesus had struggles because he said once to the disciples, you are those who stood with me in my trials. So he had trials We always think that his trials began on the last week of his life, Passion Week. But Jesus said to them in the upper room, you stood with me in my trials. So before he even got to the the, the culmination of why he came, there was trials in his life. And he even needed his guys to stand with him because he was stretched humanly, humanly stretched. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he understands that. This is why I have come to drink this cup of death, to drink this cup of sin as far as paying for the sins of the world. 
technically the wrath of God so that God doesn't visit his wrath on humans. He visits his wrath on his son because of his love for humans. Jesus in his humanity began to cringe in that moment. He began to shrink back to the point where he began to sweat as it were great drops of blood because he was being stretched in that moment. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be stretched. If God's going to conform you to the image of Jesus, you're going to be stretched. To the point where he said, Lord, if there's a way for this cup to pass, let it happen. Wait a minute. That's, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. You came to save us from our sin. You came to lay down your life. But in that moment, you're even saying, Lord, if there's another way. So in his humanity, he, he puts that out, Lord, if, if I don't have to drink this cup. But then he says, but not my will. Your will be done. So when God is stretching us, it's about the will. Your will wants to do what you want to do. And many times it does not want to lean into pain, suffering, things that hurt, things that aren't working. We want an instant fix today in this culture. But the Lord says that it has to be his will and not your will. And when it's about his will, there's going to be a stretching that goes on every, every time. But it was through prayer that the Lord Jesus was able to get his focus back and to say, okay, the prayer changed in Matthew where he was like, all right, not my will, your will be done. And then he gets up the last time and say, let's go do this. But he was being stretched in garden some of you are being stretched in your marriages you're being stretched in the ministry you're being stretched in your homes you're being stretched in your businesses and you're wondering what is going on God is conforming you you cannot become like Christ using coupons and discounts to get there you got to walk the path you you got to go there But what we don't understand is that in the walking, even as he had to walk the Via Dolorosa, that's where we grow to become more like Christ. Because if it was up to me, I would have quit. I'll tell you more about that later. When Jesus came to Peter after he had resurrected, Jesus said to Peter, he had restored Peter. Peter denied him three times. Jesus restored him with three affirmations of love. John chapter 21. Then he pulls Peter aside and he gives him a word of prophecy because Jesus is the prophet. But it wasn't like this stuff you see on TV where everybody wants you to prosper and all this kind of stuff. Jesus' word of prophecy was a word of death. Because he said to Peter, when you were younger, you did what you wanted to do. But when you're older, you're going to be led where you don't want to go. And John interpreted as saying, Jesus was saying that this was the death that Peter would die as in order to glorify Jesus. So in other words, Peter did what he wanted to do as a fisherman and, you know, he's a loose cannon as a disciple. But Jesus said, at the end of your life, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. Where was that according to history? On a cross. Peter was crucified in Rome upside down with a spike driven through his forehead. He was stretched, literally on a cross. Stretching. It goes against your will, what you don't want to do. Well, let me tell you about stretching. Back in 2010, I felt the Lord stirring my heart to go to grad school, to go back to school. I'm like, oh, boy, okay, go back to school to get my doctorate. But I didn't want to get a doctorate of ministry. I already had two theology doctorates from conservative institutions. I didn't necessarily want to do that again. I looked at a couple of seminaries and it just wasn't fit. And I didn't want to get a doctor of ministry. There's nothing wrong with a doctor of ministry. I just wanted something a little different. Well, at that time, I served on the board of Cedarville University. And so I would go to board meetings and they would have different functions at the school. And on one particular occasion, uh, they had a, uh, a, a conference on immigration reform. And one of the speakers there was a Latino man named Dr. Carlos Campo, who at the time was the president of Regent University. And as he was speaking, as he was declaring, man, I was drawn not only to what he was saying, but I was drawn to him. He was just intriguing. I was like, man, I got to spend some time talking to that guy. And so after the conference that morning, 
um, they had a luncheon in the presidential dining hall. And so being a board member, I'm able to go in there and sit down and they had all the speakers who also there. And so the tables were put together and I was sitting next to Dr. Campo. And that was not accident. That was Providence. And I began to talk to him and tell him about my challenges of trying to go to school and not wanting to go here, or go there. And he says, I have the perfect school for you. And that's the one where I'm the president, Regent University School of Business. Why don't you come here and, and go after a doctorate of strategic leadership? Gave me his card. I went back to my hotel room. I looked it up on the line online and I began to read what the qualifications were for the doctor of strategic leadership and got into the program in 2012. And man, I knew God called me into that program because what is the doctor of strategic leadership? It's an executive doctorate for leaders. Its equivalency in ministry is the doctor of ministry. But for executives, this is what some would call uh, um, a degree where you can't go any higher as it pertains to being an executive because it teaches you journalistic writing, being a consultant, and all kinds of things, uh, um, organizational theory and all kinds. So I, I jumped into this thing, not fully knowing what I was getting into, but I knew I was supposed to get into it. And usually when God calls you to do something, he doesn't give you all the details because if you had all the details, you would not do it. He gives you enough to take the first step because his word will be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. He'll show you the path, but won't give you the details. He'll just give you the direction and he want to know, will you take a step? Well, naively, I took a step and I didn't know that thing was deep. I said, oh boy, I'm in deep in here. So for three years, serving on a board at the school, I'm leading the church. The church moved from the cool, from the people's church to the Cool Spring Y, my first residency. So while I'm in school, I'm stepping out of class to take phone calls about how to get us out of People's Church into Cool Springs Y. So as I'm going through school, the church is going through changes. I'm already being overloaded with all of this stuff I got to learn. I had to buy over 100 books during this three-year uh, schooling. Read most of them. Highlighted others. You understand what I'm saying. I had to read hundreds of journal articles. I had to write over 360, 300 word dialogues where I converse with my cohort or classmates about whatever the issue or the class was. Took nine classes during this time. Submitted 55 projects. And the last one was 10,000 words. Some of the projects were interviews and case studies that I had to do and all kinds of stuff. I was being stretched. And as I was being stretched in school and having to do all of this stuff, the church was going through all kinds of changes. Because when I first got in, as I mentioned, in 2012, the church was moving from the people's church to the Y to two services. Then after a year there, mold comes and we got to get up and leave there. And we don't know where we're going. We're looking at places all through Franklin. I, I believe it was 16 places. God said no to Franklin. And next thing you know, we're catapulted right here into Nashville, Granny White Pike. And all this is going on. We've got to raise money. And then there are staff changes that are happening, elder changes that are happening. And I'm being stretched. I'm like, God, what are you doing? Now we can't find an executive pastor. So that stuff rolls uphill to me. So I've got to try to be the visionary and voice and speak direction. But then I've also got to try to deal with human resources, uh, people coming on staff, people coming off staff. I've got to deal with insurance and all this kind of stuff that I never really had to deal with. And I was saying to God, what are you doing? I didn't sign up to be a pastor to be a king. I don't like governing like this. I want to do what I do well, and that's preach, lead, get in the community, mess some stuff up for you. But, Lord, you're stretching me with this stuff. Mm, mm, mm. He's like, I'm growing and developing that aspect of you that needs to be developed. You're getting a doctorate of strategic leadership. There's one thing the classroom can teach you, but there's another thing life will teach you. My brother, I'm just trying to make you a well-rounded Christ follower. I'm stretching you. And when God stretches you, sometimes you get mad at him. 
So that goes into the second thing, because after he stretches you or while he's stretching you, he'll crush you. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. Isaiah 53 says that it pleased the Lord to crush his son. To bruise him. Okay, you want to be like Christ, you're going to get crushed. How can a God so good? How can a God so loving? How can a God so merciful? How can a God so kind? How can a God so gracious at times appear to be so cruel? Now, if you can't handle this, you want that nice little easy Christianity, this ain't the church for you. We're getting in the nitty gritty right here, and we're going to talk about what it means to be crushed, like when David would write those psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All I wanted to do was be the king because you said so, but Saul is trying to kill me. I got to hide in caves. I thought I would just get my spot, but I got to go through this season of hiding in caves, running for my life, eating showbread that belongs to priests. God, what are you doing? He was being crushed. So when Jesus is on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22 that David wrote when he was being crushed because as Jesus was being literally crushed, he said, God, why have you forsaken me? Because when you get crushed, you just wonder, God, where are you? What you doing? I don't understand it. It feels like you've left me hanging, literally. And during this season, I have been there with God where He's been crushing me so much where I'm like, Lord, I love you, but right now I don't like you. Because you haven't lifted your hand up off me, that hand of discipline, that hand where you're molding me, putting me in the fire. I think Damien said it last week. I don't want to go through the fire or the flood, but Jesus knows, God knows you want to be like Christ. Oh, yeah. I got to put you in the fire. You're going to have to be crushed. I went away on vacation for a week in Orlando. God didn't fix me on that vacation. I was hoping for him to fix me. But for a pastor, you never really unplug. I was trying my best to unplug from the stress and strain of ministry. I know y'all don't think there's a lot of stress and strain because I look so cool when I'm up here. You know how your mother knows how to cook and do a lot of things, laundry, and she could do all that stuff and check homework, and, and she looked cool where you don't think she needs assistance. But moms go through a whole lot. They just look good while they're going through it. And that's an anointing and a grace from God. Because moms don't want to sit around and complain. Well, every now and then you hit that nerve, it will come out. <laughs> Who put this cup right here? I done washed all these. But for the most part, moms and pastors and leaders, you know, we, we, you know we're not going to just bleed out in front of y'all. We're bleeding internally like a karate man. We, we're bleeding internally. And I was bleeding, man. Because I felt pressure to get fixed like two weeks ago. And when I came back and I met with my staff on Tuesday, going in on Tuesday, sometimes it's like going in on a Monday for you. Where's the, oh, I don't think I'm going to make it. Wait a minute, you're supposed to be all rejuvenated. Oh, no, no, no. So I go into the staff meeting, and we're trying to plan for the summer months, and Christy shares something tough, and the spirit enters the room at that moment. In the midst of brokenness, I began to share with the staff, and they've heard me say things like this before, but probably not like this. Probably once a quarter, I want to quit. But this time I told him, I actually thought about quitting. I had nowhere to go, but I sure was thinking about quitting. And I told them, I said, y'all, this is a hard thing to do. If this were easy, man, anybody could do this. We'd see more models like this. But man, this thing is hard. We've had so much transition going on. That man, it's hard to get stabilized. It's hard to lead right now. And if I didn't love y'all so much and care about how you get paid. I would have quit. If I didn't love my kids, I would have quit. All the while knowing that God was not telling me to quit. That was my flesh saying, I'm tired. Just like you get tired in your marriage and want to quit. And God never told you to quit. Now, sometimes he'll tell you you've done all that you can. 
but God didn't tell me that or with your business or whatever you're going through. He never told me to quit. That was me talking that stuff because emotionally in my soul, man, as I put it out here, as soon as the church moved, we lost so many people, my good friends. And many of them didn't even have a reason that made any sense to me. Some of them didn't even say goodbye. They just disappeared. And we're navigating these choppy waters and people I normally leaned on were gone. And then there was supposed to be someone associated with this church that was going to start a church without my blessing or the elders approval or even assistance with some of the people who left the church. So now I'm being torn in my soul. God, what is going on? And that just wasn't three years ago or two years ago when we came here. How about a couple weeks ago? People just leave the church. Some of them don't say goodbye. They just leave. You figure it out when you run into them in the grocery store and there's the awkwardness and haven't seen you in a while. And, you know, do I reach out to you? Should you have called me? What did the covenant say when you became a member that you would let us know that you've left, but you did not do that. And so now I'm awkward. What do I do? And so, Lord, I'm tired of this. The money is funny now. We've lost volunteers. Why are you crushing me like this? Then we got somebody that want to take the church to court to sue the church because we had to tell a person with questionable behavior to leave. That person didn't like it and now was talking about defamation of character and we never said anything publicly. We kept it inside. Then there was another disgruntled man who subpoenaed me along with two members of the staff because his wife divorced him and I guess he just wanted to try to hurt us. So now we're meeting with lawyers and all that. Wait, I just signed up to preach and try to love and lead people. And, and then this diverse kingdom stuff. If I get one more person, tell me you talk about race too much when I don't talk about race too much. But you need to check the vision statement that says we are a diverse kingdom church. We deal with race, class, and culture. So don't, why are you leaving? Because it gets tough. Because we're going to try to go down some places that the world is struggling with and the church doesn't even have a clue. And all this going on, I'm like, God, you're killing me in here. And I can't even tell you about challenges in my own family. I got teenagers. I got a kid away in college. I got a mother with ailing health. We got financial challenges in our home. All this stuff going on at once. And last week, two weeks ago in Orlando, God was challenging me to praise him. And I said, no, because I feel like Job, you're slaying me and I don't trust you enough to praise you. And that's real. People leave the church, get mad at me and try to blame their bad marriage on me and the pastors. What did we do to you? Getting emails and stuff on Facebook, people inboxing, asking for stuff, criticizing. Like, oh Lord, no, no, this I didn't get in it for this. Meantime, deadline, you better have that uh, project in. You better do this, you better do that. Wife got some deadlines, better have that garbage out, you better have that room clean. I gotta show up every Sunday and teach and preach and lead and serve. But inwardly, I'm hurting. Dear David said to me, I think it was last week, he said, Pastor, you all right? I said, man, I'm just walking through, man. Just like I see many of you. Why? He's conforming you. And when you're on the potter's wheel, it doesn't always feel good. Pieces are flying and he's, you know, pressing in on you and he's putting his fingerprint on you. It don't feel good when you're going through it. But you're going through it by the grace of God. And I got to that place where I could trust God again and praise him. Why? What happened? Because in that staff meeting on Tuesday, when I told him I was wanting to leave, but I had nowhere to go, God never said I would leave. My staff came around me and laid hands on me. Brother Luke prayed a prayer over me. I'm telling you right now, I could feel it break. 
the oppression that I was under, the depression, the discouragement, it lifted. And I could feel my mind, it, it, it started coming back again. That vision thing that got lost in the king thing, it started coming back and I could hear God speaking in my ear again, basically telling me to rise up. Because after the crushing comes a resurrection. He hit my soul so well that Tuesday that we started a fast the next day and said, we're going to fast for the next 21 days like Daniel did. We're going to fast because, God, you're in the midst of something. One preacher who is sitting here right now said many years ago, he said, before you get to breakthrough, you got to go through breakdown. And then after the death comes the resurrection. How did Jesus rise from the dead? Who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, the Bible says the father raised him from the dead. The Bible also says the spirit raised Jesus from the dead. But the Bible also says that Jesus raised himself from the dead because he said, if you destroy this temple, I will raise it back up. So when I was going through that thing and God was saying, you know, resurrection is coming. We're going through Easter time and you're talking about suffering. You're talking about resurrection. Chris, your resurrection is coming. This is not going to be theoretical for you, but this is going to be empirical for you. You are going to get up. Why? Because the spirit is raising you up. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. You may get down, but you cannot stay down emotionally, spiritually, physically. You got to come up, but I'm going to raise you up too. But Chris, you got to like my son say, I'm getting up as well. You got to speak it with your mouth where you say this too shall pass. I'm coming through this. I'm going to rise again. Yes, the Holy Ghost will get me up. Yes, God, the Father will get me up. But like Jesus, I'm saying to this circumstance, I'm getting up too. I'm coming back. I'm not going to stay down. The devil is not going to take this church from us. And God is doing miracle after miracle. He's providing thousands of dollars to keep the lights on and to do renovations. He's in the midst of the suffering. I couldn't even see all of that and praise him, right? Because I was hurting so bad. But like he said to me, you've preached it. That before God does it around you, he wants to do it in you. So he started working on me saying, come on, come to life. Come to life. Praise me in the valley. Come on and get up, Chris. And I began to say, I'm getting up. I'm getting up. I'm getting up. So I'm going to smile through my trials. And I'm going to walk by faith. And on the God of Abraham, I'll always wait. And I'm going to preach this word even to the death. And I'm going to praise the Lord with my last breath. And I'm going to take this GDK as far as it'll go. And I'll witness for God until I'm six below. But then I'll rise from the earth because he rose first. (laughs) Feels so good inside. It feels like I'll burst uh, with the joy of God. This is no facade. Praise him in good times and when times are hard. He's growing me. He's growing you. He's growing us. He's conforming us by stretching us, crushing us, and raising us. And after we're raised, we go right back into being stretched, to being crushed, to being raised. But it's so good to be in the hands of a loving God. Strong Tower this Thursday, I'm having minor surgery. Now, Pastor Darrell said there's no such thing as minor surgery. Anytime you go on this major. But I said, wait a minute, brother. They ain't doing nothing major on me. They're doing something minor. For those of you who know me, you know I cannot hear well. Back in my days where I was a rapper, I blew my eardrums as we blew speakers on the road. And so my eardrums are not really efficient. And so I've worn hearing aids for the past four or five years. And they're tedious. I lose them. I step on them. They cost a whole lot of money. And man, I said, I'm not wearing hearing aids anymore. So then in my meetings... I'm asking you to repeat yourself. So when you start telling me stuff like, yeah, man, I really thought about taking a gun and doing this. I'm like, say that again. I can't hear you. It's just not cool. You know, Lord, we got to do something about this hearing here. You know, 
I'm at the house and TV is up so high. My kids are like, Ugh. and when I come home, my wife can hear me before I come in the house because my car is bumping so loud with the music, you know. And so it's like, Lord, we got to get this thing done. So when the church changed the insurance and all that, I was able to get a, a package where they can put these things in my ear. They're going to put a prosthetic device in my ear. I have a bone in my inner ear that's calcified. It doesn't move. It doesn't vibrate. So the things don't go to my brain. So they got to go in and take that out and put this piece in there. They're going to start with the worst ear, which is the left ear. Then they're going to come back and do the right ear. So I'm going to ask you to pray for me Thursday when they put a brother under and go in and put this piece in my ear. Now, I don't know what's going on. You know, they tell me I got to remain still for like a week so it doesn't, you know, move in my head and we got to start back over again. And so the elders told me Thursday, you are not preaching next Sunday. Elder Clifton, like, you ain't getting up there sweating and moving and that thing moving your head. Stay home. You don't have to preach. But I'm like, I'm finding my voice again. No, stay home. But here's what I want you to pray, not only for my physical hearing, pray for my spiritual hearing. Pray for my spiritual hearing. Because when I hear from God, it doesn't matter what anyone says. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 27. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. The king thing I've had to do all this time, man, it's been wearing on me. Where my hearing, as far as in the prophetic, I can't hear about direction and vision and all this. Oh, Lord, but it's starting to come back again. And I even see solutions coming to help with all this administrative stuff that's going on. But pray that I can get my hearing when God speaks in my ear. Because when God speaks in my ear, I will shout it anywhere I go. Once I get a word from God, once he puts it in my soul, it's over. So you pray. But I also want to pray for you. Because I know there are people here, you are struggling Your strength, that thing you have, you haven't been able to operate in it because you've been stretched in other areas. You've been feeling like you've been crushed. I want to encourage you to hang in there. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this body allowing me to emote, to pour out my heart before them. I'm before family. I'm their brother. And I thank you, Lord, that I could just let it out. Because it's been a tough season, but it's also been a good season because you've been faithful. You've never failed us. You've never failed me, and I've failed you every day. And even as I was in school, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life and going through the hardest season of my ministry, all at the same time, you kept me, you kept me, you kept me, you kept us. And Lord, while I'm alive, while you allow breath to be in my lungs, I will lead, I will serve, I will inflict damage on the gates of hell. We will see captives set free. We will speak truth in love. We will proclaim. We will be models of reconciliation in every fashion. We will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Woe is us if we preach not this good news of Jesus. Recalibrate this church. We bless everyone that has left, whether they left properly or did not leave properly, whether they left for good reasons or horrible reasons. We bless them. We have no bitterness in our hearts towards them. And I thank you for the people who are here, who still are a part of this dysfunctional house, but a house that has a vision and a house that has some great people in it and a house that has a calling on it. Thank you, Lord. We're here for the next run. What you got for us, God. Help us to love one another well as we love you well. Help us to love the poor, the lost, the last, the least. Help us to reach out and serve. Thank you for meeting our every need. Thank you for taking care of this body. And now as your word has gone out, may the enemy not steal it. May your enemy not inflict damage on my mind because of me speaking the truth. Jesus, be the shield and the fence all about us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.